It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's been a long year, but we have made it to the end, and it is Christmas time. Christmas Eve when this podcast drops, and today... We are welcoming our colleague, Christy Jones, who is a lobbyist here at New Frame. She is joining us for the podcast today. We are recording a week out from Christmas Eve and excited about this episode. Christy, welcome. Thank you. And we thought this episode, the three of us would get together and talk about the legislative session behind us look forward to next year. And then later in the podcast, we have guest Senator Jim Perry and Senator Kirk Devier. They're going to join us for a discussion about their take on the legislative session. But let's start off. What surprised you most about this past legislative session? Christy, what kind of got your attention? The budget. It was a very long process, very long but I did appreciate the fact that there was back and forth conversations with the governor and then he would send things back. And so by the time we got the budget or knew it was getting ready to drop, we knew he was going to sign it. Yeah. I think that surprised me the most. Were you ever in doubt that we would have a budget? Were you worried about that? I was. Yeah. I'll just be honest. We had not had one in several years, so I was very worried about that. And you wear so many hats. So lobbyists here working on early childhood education issues mainly, but then you're also on the school board in Davidson County, so uh, you needed a budget to bring back home to Davidson County, right? Yes, I did. I needed a budget. I kept getting text and phone calls from our finance director and that kind of thing. And I was like, maybe we'll get it next week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then we finally got it. Yeah. Yeah. What surprised you most? For me, the most surprising part was coming off the 2020 election and the Republicans had made some gains in the General Assembly. And I thought they would feel so validated in those gains they made. The governor won his race. I thought he would feel validated, like each of them would think North Carolina has spoken. And I thought that they would go into their different camps and kind of talk to their base of voters. What surprised me the most was really how the tenor of the session began with the governor and the leadership in the General Assembly saying, yes, the people have spoken, They want you and they want me. And I was really optimistic starting the session. And I remember we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes of the podcast. I think it was the second or third where uh, Senator Phil Berger and Governor Cooper fist bumped out on Bicentennial Mall. And I believe this was around the opening of schools. Gave me a lot of optimism. Now, that optimism didn't <laughs> didn't last forever because they really duked it out over a lot of issues. But I'd say, yeah, the tenor of the legislative session was one of the best I've seen in about 10 years. What about you, Sky? I don't think this is that surprising, but... The fact that our local politics and Christy being on the school board can certainly validate this as well, but the local politics filtering up 
instead of state politics filtering down. The school board issues that you saw, critical race theory, those sorts of things, parents in the General Assembly this year, just those issues with COVID and all of those local issues really played out at the General Assembly this year. I agree with that. Was there a piece of legislation that you saw this past session? It doesn't have to be a client of ours, but is there a piece of legislation out there that got your attention and you were kind of bought into it and following it? Kind of number one on your list, Sky? Probably medical marijuana because you didn't expect it. And then you didn't expect Senator Rabin to be carrying it. And they went through so many versions of the bill. It kept popping up in different committees, rewritten, all of these folks coming in and speaking about it. And you heard folks talking about how this would affect their personal lives, some really tragic stories. And also like that budget guy who kept coming in and talking about how the state could make more money off of this. I mean, the complexity of that bill was so interesting. And the bill seemed to always be moving, but not really going anywhere, right? So it never made it out of the Senate. It would go forward and back. It would go to, um, you know, the health committee and then come back to judiciary committee for a second or third time. And it was just so entertaining. We had to go. Senator Rabin, by the way, we are hearing he is going to run for re-election. Uh, he can move this bill in the short session, but it might be something if it if it's not successful, we may I'm pretty sure we'll see it in 2023. Christy, what got your attention? Uh, House Bill 82, which is which was the summer school bill for oh, the kids. Okay, because I have a child and who missed out half of her kindergarten year and then was virtual or remote student her first grade year. And so then I found out she was special needs. And so I was like, I really need her going back into the fall, going into back into public school, face to face. I really needed her to have a transition. And so I really followed that because I wanted to make sure that she was going to be eligible. For me, the bill that I thought was just such a roller coaster was the child marriage bill that Senator Vicki Sawyer and Senator Danny Britt put forward this year. And this was regulating at what age a child can get married. And when I saw it, I thought, okay, we're just laying the foundation for maybe uh, this bill to be enacted down the road. And I remember it gets to that Judiciary Committee, and it's really a watered-down compromise. And I remember the bill ends up over on the House side, and there is another compromise, and it creates kind of this four-year window for children who are getting married, so 14-year-old and 18-year-old and so on. But I was really surprised at the ups and downs and roller coaster ride of the bill. It had so many critics inside the General Assembly, kind of the older legislators whose parents may have gotten married when they were younger. And it just really was fun to watch. And it took a long time, took a lot of compromise, but huge kudos to Senator Vicki Sawyer and Senator Danny Britt. They really stuck with it. And that bill got signed into law. Do you have any predictions on what 2022 is going to bring to the General Assembly or North Carolina politics in general? 
my prediction is that things are going to get ugly next year. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to get ugly and they're going to get polarized. For as much as you were talking about the compromise of the, this year, the fist bump, it's going to be ugly in an election year, especially an election year that's going to look rough for Democrats. I would agree with that. Just seeing all the people that are not running, so you're going to have a lot of people, new people in 2023. So it's going to be very interesting. If you saw what we saw up in Virginia, uh, that is a bellwether for North Carolina. We also know that the election right after uh, the president's party wins, the other party does bad in interim elections. So I think we're going to see an election that is in line with what we saw in 1994, 2010, Uh, 2022 is going to be a rough year for Democrats. And I think Republicans likely will get a super majority going into uh, the 2023 session. We have been talking about what we were going to do for our end of year episode. And we hadn't had two members of opposite parties on together before. And so we decided to have Senator Jim Perry and Senator Kirk Devier um, Jim Perry, Republican, Devier, a Democrat, onto the podcast to talk about what this year brought, what the session meant, and talk about how things played out. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Our first bipartisan episode. Welcome back to the podcast, Senators Perry and Devier. We are happy to have you to wrap up the end of the year. To start us off, what do you think is your greatest joy about serving this year, Senator Perry? Constituent services um, is the most rewarding part of this. Uh, I also think that we get to meet a lot of really good people from different parts of the state um, that, you know, they have different temperaments, talents, and convictions. And uh, when you get to know the individual, it's, it's really interesting to, to hear some of the stories. And uh, I think it's, it's pretty enriching to, uh, to be able to interact with them. I think seeing the impact that you have uh, on people, either when you tweak a law or you're able to, you know, help somebody with an issue. During this pandemic, we saw, you know, thousands of people that had issues with unemployment insurance and kind of working through that process on a, on a system that was stretched to its max, but being able to help those people through that um, and actually, you know, helping them get their benefits or helping them through a, a very hard point in time in their life is, is rewarding. And it kind of remembers you, reminds you why you're here. Uh, and for me, it's about helping people and, and, and doing good. Um, so it, those types of moments are kind of, you're like, okay, this is why I do this. is why I come up here and put this up for 10, 12 months out of the year. Senator Perry, back in the spring, we had just concluded our interview for the podcast. And as you were leaving, I was feeling a little down about the budget. I was very skeptical about whether we were going to get a budget or not. And as you were walking out the door, you said, we're going to have a budget this year. I guarantee it. Mark my words. 
And you had indicated that it was going to be a bipartisan budget as well. Can you talk a little bit about what you were seeing back in the spring or what you were feeling about the budget process that I didn't quite see in the spring? I think I'd seen a lot of communication, you know, over the prior two years. And you you see it growing and uh, you you see members interacting more than I, I did when I when I first got here, and you hear stories of frustration from their their districts, you hear stories of frustration, you know, among each other when we sit and talk about things that we think could be done better, and you know how communication helps those things. And I think as you get to know people, we we know that there are some things that we just philosophically disagree on, right? I mean that. I have family members I disagree with things on. It doesn't mean I, I don't love them. Um, but, you know, you, you get to know people and you, you start to learn that, oh, well, you know, she's pretty reasonable person or he's pretty reasonable person. And you think, I can find a way to, to work with them. You know, we can figure this out. Because ultimately, we all want, we all want what is in the best interest of the, the people in our district and the people of the state. And, you know, there's just got to be a better way sometimes. So I really felt like with the relationships that I saw building among individuals and as I got to know some, I just felt like we'd be able to communicate and find a way. Senator Devier, you were very involved in the budget process. Did you ever have skepticism about whether we would have a final budget? Again, I think early on, um, I just believed there would be a budget. Um, I believe that there was such a great opportunity for the state um, and that we would get there and the leadership in the general assembly and the governor would find a way to you know negotiate a budget and, and get us there that the opportunity was you know any, anything short of that was a failure in my opinion um, and and so as as we proceeded i think once we got through the the house and the senate kind of negotiations and the and the how we were going to spend the money I think it was just a matter of time before we got to what everybody was comfortable with. Um, there were some difficult times. I don't think I ever said we're going to walk away and we're not going to have a budget and we're all going to go home. Uh, I think there were some pretty intense times and there was times that were close. But I think through through the entire process, uh, you could see that people were very focused on that they knew we had to have a budget at the end of the day. I think that's fair. If you look back to when we had a, a budget commission and before we changed the way budgeting worked in the state, there's never been a perfect budget. Mm-hmm. But I, And I think that the governor summed it up well when he said the good outweighs the bad. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone felt that way. There are things in there I don't like. There's some stuff not in there that I'd like to see. But at the end of the day, the good outweighed the bad, and we have a state budget. A state senator or a state representative, for that matter, is setting policy not only in the bills that we enact, but the budgets that are passed that have an effect across the state, lowering taxes, giving teachers raises. But senators and representatives also look out for their districts. And if I look at this budget, I can see both of your fingerprints on the budget whether it's Senator Perry and flood mitigation or the incredible work you did for Fayetteville State University. Can you talk about those two roles that legislators play in the budget process where you're trying to get the resources to your community, but you're also setting state policy as well? Senator Perry, 
Let's start with you. The, the first requirement for us is to represent our district and the people there. Um, you know, we often receive emails from people and they say, hey, you know, I'm your constituent and I'm, I look at their address and see where they're from and I think to myself, no, actually, you're, you're not. Uh, you're North Carolinian, so we, you know, we try to look out for your best interests, but our jobs um, primarily are to represent the people who live within those district lines and to meet their needs and as much as we can and to speak on their behalf. Senator Devier, I think when you're elected that you're, you know, you're there to bring the people's voices from your district forward and, and to bring their priorities forward. And not just for the people that elected you, but for the entire district that you represent. Um, and I think sometimes that's a competing task in a lot of ways. Um, and so it is important that you look at what comes back to the district, as you mentioned, Fayetteville State University and so many other things. But there's, there's also other priorities that also affect your, well, I would call them kind of statewide priorities when we look at teacher pay or we look at, you know, how we invest in the environment, what we're doing with health care. Those are things that also impact my district. Mm -hmm. So I think I look at it kind of in, a, in kind of a twofold way, that I look at that direct impact, that direct investment that, that comes to the community, but also how the state policies or the state things that we put in place also impact my district. How do you go about lobbying for, if you will, lobbying for your area of the state and saying to a budget writer from Western North Carolina, hey, we really need you to put resources in Eastern North Carolina. And then I'll ask the same of you. How do you say, budget writers, we really have this great university down here that needs to be in this promise program? Senator Devier, let's start with you. It, it is a difficult process, but for me, the way I, I viewed it as they're appropriation bills. Right. So you got to also remember, I'm the minority party. Sure. So it's a little bit different for a minority member um, as a budget get, is getting created. And so the way I viewed it and viewed it this time is that there were certain priorities like NC Promise and other investments that I thought were important for our community that I drafted into bills and drafted into legislation. Any legislator can draft a bill. You make an appropriations bill. And then, you know, then I can elevate that to the budget writers and say, here, here's my legislation, here's how I want to get it inputted. But I also think it's then building some consensus, whether it's in your delegation, and I'm unique in the sense that our delegation has Republicans and Democrats. You got the House and the Senate, so we can kind of look at how we uh, work together as a delegation, uh, maybe uh, on different pieces of legislation or how we go after those appropriations. But uh, it's, a, it, it's a very unique process, especially when you're in the minority. I. Uh I go wash tractors and pick watermelons and uh, help Brett Jack. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I do think it's all about, um, you know, communication and trying to be reasonable. And, and you do have to be able to tell a story. Um, and they, we have to remember that the budget writers, um, the, the leaders of each chamber, everyone has competing priorities all the time. You're not going to get everything you want. You know, politics is it's like it's like being married. You don't get your way all the time. Or if you meet, you never get your way. But, um, you know, you, you've got to understand that you're, you're not going to get everything. And I, I try to be reasonable in my um, in my request. You know, I'll try to filter some things out that I just don't think will make it. And I try to set expectations um, for for folks back home. But I think it's all about communication, like most things in the world. 
but I will say one thing that Jim did, and even when it comes to that resiliency piece, because we, we, we were a bit, my area was a, was a benefactor of it, is that it became a regional effort. It became where you're bringing more people together that are a, a louder voice to go talk to those budget riders to say this is an issue across this entire region, and this is how we can work for the betterment of the region, not just for this certain area or this certain person. Let's talk about that a little bit and expand on that. So this is a bipartisan episode. Let's talk about <laughs> being bicameral. And you referenced working with your delegation, and both of y'all work really well with your delegation in the House. Can you kind of talk about working with your counterparts over in the House to get things done, either in the budget or in other bills? Now, we can't give away all our secrets, because our our delegation got accused of a lot of stuff this session, so can't give away all our secrets now. Sky, come on now. We still got a short session coming up. just make something up. Let's spread rumors. You know, I think that's part of the strategy. I think that's part of how you have to look at it. You know there's two budgets. Uh, You've got to look at the Senate side and the House side. The way the process is now, you have to work within those that framework. Um, And I think within our delegation, we kind of set aside, you know, when we looked at our local um, issues, we kind of set aside the partisanship and said, what's going to be in the best interest of our community? And then we went and worked both sides and leveraged relationships that we had uh, in the Senate and in the House, uh, on, on you know all of us. Senator Perry, there is no single individual here that can do anything by themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it takes uh, relationships, it takes nose count, you know, it takes votes. Um, I, I also think that you know, I'm not going to name any names here. It'd be it'd be great for the rumor mill, I guess. But <laughs> I, I think people have different ideas of of how you build influence and relationships and i have tried to be helpful to people when they come see me or if they come to me for something in in my committee and and i just know that you know I can't, there's no way i can do it um i, I try to shoot them straight and uh, tell them what parts of it are problematic and what i think you know we could get past and and i try to help them get there um over the years it seems like some have felt like they accumulate um, power or influence by uh, screwing somebody over, you know, or hammering their bill, or they, they go brag because I killed this or that. I'm like, that comes back to get you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, I think trying to, to help people be successful is the, the best, um, from a long game standpoint, the best way to approach this. So those relationships are valuable. You know, the, the friends of your friends, trying to help them, I I do think it comes back to you because you want someone, when you walk in a room, you want them looking, thinking to themselves, oh, it's, it's, I want them thinking, oh, it's it's Jim, you know, I want to, what's he need? I want to help Jim. That's, I want them having those thoughts. I don't want them saying that jerk, he, you know, spiked my bill and rules or did this or that. That's just bad for the long game, I think. Doesn't make any sense. So with the state budget, that was a bipartisan, bicameral, trilateral process with the governor involved, the House, the Senate involved. That process of coming together and having a final budget, do you see that as a roadmap for next year for some bipartisan opportunities or specific pieces of legislation that you think will turn out the same way? Senator Devier. I think it gives us a good roadmap. I think it um, shows people how we can do government. I think it shows people, and you've heard me say it before, maybe, you know, good government happens when you bring people around the table. 
Um, and that's how democracy should work. And I think we saw some of that this time. We saw some of it with the energy bill. We saw some of it, you know, early on when um, around the reopened schools. I mean, the child marriage bill, the child marriage bill, I mean, there's bill. the criminal justice bills. So I think there's a little bit of a blueprint this session. Um, and I think it's okay when you look at a piece of legislation and not everybody's comfortable and everybody's kind of like, Oh, I'm going to vote for it. But mm-hmm. I think that's, you probably got a good piece of legislation when that happens. I think it also harkens back to the, the idea of, of vote trading. Uh, and let's go back to that concept of marriage, right? It's like, okay. hey, I don't really dig this thing you want to do, um, but you know, I know it's important to you. And um, how about I just put on this tie and go to this thing I don't want to do for you, and maybe you help me with something in the future. Okay. You know, it's, I think it's the same concept with lawmaking and being able to figure out a path forward because it's you don't really in my opinion we don't do anything for the state if we have a chance to incrementally improve something and we let great be the enemy of good you know there's a lot of bills out there and one of the most frequent things i hear is well it didn't go far enough didn't go far enough i'm like it went as far as it could. You know, we've got enough folks to pass it, right? I mean, I would love to have everything I want in life, but that's not how it works. And that is not how it works here. So we have to, you know, pass legislation that we can get enough votes to support. And just like marriage, that means I don't get my way all the time, but no one does. But I think it's getting more people in both chambers that kind of take that view and it's not about the ideology side of it it's just understanding how you get to a yes or how you get to a legislation that there's there's going to be give and take and it can't always be a this or that there has to be you know can't be an absolute and i think the more legislators that we can get in both bodies that view it that way i think the better we're going to function as a general assembly so we have two businessmen that come out of the private sector you have been in session starting in January. We did not adjourn until November. It has been almost a full year. Can you talk about how it has affected your professional life, your family life? Senator Perry, you were in committee in the last days of session talking about how it's affected you personally. From a professional standpoint, I'm, I'm in a pretty good spot because you know i'm retired from from uh from full-time well i would say full-time work this is pretty (laughs) full-time um but personally man i've gained a ton of weight since i've been up here and you you are away from your family a lot and i've got two kids in college you know one in high school i've got three daughters um so there are times that um you miss things in their lives and things going on and you know i've been fortunate uh, i traveled a great deal during my career so my, my wife sort of got used to me being the the absentee father um so to speak i'd come home on the weekends and try to do stuff and they're like no you're not doing it right <laughs> you don't do it that way but it's not how mom does it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, you know come on dad will do your hair they're like what <laughs> <laughs> no you know we 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 figured it out like like all families do but we we do miss a lot and it is it's it's a sacrifice and i think you can give this job as much time as you will allow it to have and some people find a better balance than i do um i think 
you know, people are content with, with different aspects of, of being a lawmaker. And I, I really don't want to be up here forever. But while I am here, I, I do want to be able to have an impact and feel like I made a difference. But it, it comes at a price. It does. Yeah, Senator. It does. I mean, I've got a five-year-old, and there's many a Monday morning that I hear when I'm getting ready to go and leave to come to Raleigh that he says, Daddy, you going to Raleigh again? Mm-hmm. And that's every week. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, it won't be very much longer. And then, you know, just a few weeks ago as we're coming up here for these final, final votes, Daddy, you're going back to Raleigh. When are you going to be done? Um, and you, you miss those life moments. I mean, I've got a young son. He just turned five. And, you, you know, every day you come home, it's, he's, he's different. His personality is different. And, uh, but you also have to look at, for me, you know, the impact that you're trying to make things better for him and other kids like him. Um, so that's tr- how I try to, try to rationalize it in some ways. But you can't, you can't make up for those missed moments. Um, it's just important. And, and then you just have to spend that time and, and really be – you got to almost be selfish with the time that you do have back home um, and making sure that you're spending that quality time with family. And then from a business standpoint, uh, you know, I'm the business I'm in is a little bit more remote and I'm in an advertising agency. So um, I have some, have some flexibility and some, some people, but anytime the owner as an entrepreneur, the owner is away. I mean, it's, it's lost revenue. Um, Mm -hmm. and so you're sacrificing your family, not just family time, but your family's future wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, by being up here as well if you're still in your you know your kind of wealth building years in a lot of ways so it, it is a sacrifice um, and you just have to find a balance and, and rationalize it I can't say I've gained 30 pounds though so. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. you've got some work to do <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, I'm you... underachieving there <laughs> <laughs> have you had any thoughts about a way we could fix the system Senator Perry so I think change is hard <laughs> right and um it, the the way things are done today, whether it be this General Assembly, any business, there is always a reason that they're done that way. You, you may not agree with the reason, but there's always a reason. And for change to occur, I think people have to, number one, accept that change is necessary. So they, they've got to understand that we can't continue to do something a certain way before they will accept any change and then I think they have to be part of building what that change is in order to get it to take. Otherwise someone's always trying to undermine it, trying to you know, make the change go away. Um, and I'll get back to what I said earlier. I think we can always improve processes and the day you get up and don't believe that you need to move on down the road. So I, I think we can absolutely, um, if we have that mindset, we can improve things. I don't think we need professional lawmakers. I don't think we need full-time law. I know as lobbyists, you guys don't want lawmakers up here year-round <laughs> all the time. We like you guys. You know, we, yeah, but we can... <laughs> Some you, of you. <laughs> you. You let us stay here year-round. Yeah. You know, every year we can really mess some stuff up, That's right? That's true. We could, we could get it, get it be yeah, and sideways. I, and I also think, you know, there's, there's legislating and there's the political side of it. And yeah. nobody wants to be the guy that sponsors a bill to raise the pay or change the structure or anything like that. Because then it, or the person that does that, because then it's going to be running a campaign ad against you. That's right. um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's another piece of it. But I, I think we can find a way to do it better, even if it's within the current structure that we have how we can find efficiencies and be, you know, do it in a, bit, in a different and better way. I, I think there's ways to do that. And it's just, uh, we just got to be willing to work together to do it. Mm-hmm. 
What is one word, I'll start with you, Senator Perry, that you would describe Senator Devier with? I would say reasonable. Mm. And Senator Devier for Senator Perry? Genuine. I can see It's that. a real love fest here. <laughs> yeah. No, but, 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 <laughs> well, Scott, but, but hold on. But Scott, no, that's okay. You can leave that in. That's good. But to your point, we, we talk a lot about this within our delegation. So over the last several weeks, our delegation has been moving around, and we've been talking about the impact this budget will have on our community. But on a bigger scale, when we kind of look at, at it, it, it boils down to the relationships that you have up here. And it really boils down to trust. You know, I don't view, you know, Jim's in the opposite party as me. I don't view him as the enemy. I view him as, you know, somebody that we've got to work together to, for what's in both of our best interests. Mm -hmm. And But at the end of the day, I trust him. And not everybody can say that. Um, and yeah. I think that's important. So while we kid, it's a love fest. But... I do like Jim, and I would, you know, I would, if we weren't up here and we met, we would probably be friends, and we are friends now, and I think it boils down to trust, and I've got a lot of friends on the other side of the aisle, and, and I'll tell you that I've taken criticism for that, to say, you can't have friends on the other side of the aisle, like, mm -hmm. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, I'm not going to come up here and just, you know, you, you spend so much time with people that you have to build relationships, and I think in the General Assembly in so many ways, relationships are the currency up here and if you don't have trust then you know you're not going to have much at all so you know i'm i'm from a party that talks a lot about um, liberty and i don't think there's any greater liberty than individual thought about any situation you know i, I want to understand it and know what's going on um you know, Kurt doesn't know this, but I, I cyber-stalked him before I got up here. So I, I knew a little about him and as many of those members as I could find out. But, you know, we, we actually have a lot in common. And if, if you, you look back to our, our childhood and, you know, raised by single moms and growing up in trailer parks and finding a way through the military to advance our lives. And, you know, we got families and we come up here and serve. I mean, we have more in common than we have in in differences and uh, we did get to know each other you know it just starts with, with small talk and uh, I don't care who likes it or who does not he he is my friend and and we do have a trust now trust doesn't mean that you always are able to give something someone everything they want right we disagree on stuff but I know he's not going to lie to me about something and he knows I'm not going to lie to him uh, we just we see things a little differently as we look at how we can, you know, into the future and into next session and into future sessions, I think that's a, a piece of it is people can actually have conversations and see each other as, as who they are as individuals and know that they've got, you know, they all, a lot of them have families back home. They've got life experiences that they probably have shared um, and set some of the politics aside and actually do good legislation and get to know each other. We spend with the sessions we have now, we spend an entire, uh, we spend a lot of time with each other. In some instances, in a week's time, more than what I would spend with my family. Mm -hmm. So you have, I mean, you're going to build a relationship and you're not going to like everybody and you're going to build trust with some and maybe not with others. But I think that's, that's a piece of it. It's just like, uh, you know, one big family in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think it makes it easier for us because, you know, a lot of times I'll see people discussing a bill or an issue and they assume and assign impure motives to the other party. They start from there. See, we don't start that that way with each other. You know, we start out from saying, okay, this guy's trying to do something he thinks is good. 
Let me hear him out. Let me see if we can find a, a path forward for this idea or, or what he's trying to do. And we can look at each other and say, hey, listen, man, um, one, two, and six, yeah, I can probably roll with you on, but those other ones, there's just no way. I can't. Man, I can't do that. You know, th- this is the perception. So we, we were able to have real conversations and the incremental gain that we talked about earlier, we feel that we can achieve some incremental gain for the benefit of the the people we represent and for the state by doing that. What do you think is the biggest misconception that the average citizen has about the General Assembly? For me, I, I think it's that they believe from reading headlines that all of the members hate yeah, each other from the, the mm-hmm. different parties. Mm-hmm. You know, 85, 90% of the issues are unanimous votes. Um, you know, th- there are some people who don't get along. And it's a normal distribution of the population. You're going to find some that are just just fantastic people, and they're easy to talk to regardless of their political affiliation. You know, most of them, it's okay, you know, most things. Then some, you know, they're, they can be pretty nasty people. Mm-hmm. But that's just, that's society, right? So there's this perception that we all hate each other and we're yelling at each other and trying to slam each other all the time, and that's just not the case. In the Senate, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, to your point, I think the campaigning side of it perpetuates that. Because when you spend millions of dollars, billions of dollars on on media, you know, shaping what people think and seeing what people, you know, in these different actions. And then you see blips of headlines where it's always Mm -hmm. the negative headline versus the positive they don't get to see that. The, the everyday person doesn't get to see that. They don't get to see the, the jokes in, in, the, in the Senate or cutting up a little bit or, you know, the fun times that we, you know, you have or the relationships that are really there. So I think from an outside view, people, don't, people can't see that. Yeah. Speaking of campaigning, could you describe your pocket square to us today? <laughs> Senator Selfish. Well, it's from the senatorial line that was created in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> looking good that's the tagline at the end looking it was, good it was, it was. <laughs> to take a lesson from the campaign at least in my campaigns i mean it's about issues and i think when you come up here and you legislate and you legislate on issues you can see the points like what jim said earlier that we can agree on this this and this so let's try to advance that and set the other stuff aside um, versus i'm going to attack your character because you don't believe in two three and four mm-hmm. right well, Senator Jim Perry and Senator Kirk Devier, we appreciate everything you do for your districts. We appreciate everything you do for the state. You both know how to do politics better. We wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. This interview was a real do politics better moment. When they talked about the trust they had for one another, it reminded you that just being on opposite sides doesn't mean that you can't like people and find a way to connect to others. 
while they have some very stark disagreements on political philosophy, at the end of the day, these two guys really do respect one another. And it was refreshing to see. It's Christmas Eve when you're probably listening to this podcast. Let's talk about what you have planned for the holidays. Are there any traditions, Christy, that you and your family have back in Davidson County? How are you going to ring in Christmas? And while we're at it, how are you going to ring in the new year? Well, one of the traditions that we have in my family started um, about 35 years ago with my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, He, after my first son was born, he started buying Christmas decorations to put in the yard. And so when we bought my childhood home a few years ago, of course, we inherited all the decorations which we enjoy putting out. It's a family affair. uh, And now we actually have friends that come in from Columbia, South Carolina to help us put out everything because it takes a long time to put everything out because you got to get everything out, test it and all that kind of stuff. So then um, on Thanksgiving night, that's when we turn all the lights on. So in the house and outside. So our whole house is decorated by Thanksgiving. And then we have all these people that come by and drive by and get out of their cars and take pictures and It's not only just little kids, it's adults too. And it just is so meaningful to see them. And when you're putting them out or if I'm going outside to make sure everything looks right, right before the lights turn on every night, somebody will drive by and they're like, I remember your dad when he started this. Mm. So it's just, it's a really good time for me. But remembering my dad. If you want to see Christy's front yard, you... Look her up on Facebook. She has some really great photos. All right, Sky, what you got? Well, my family doesn't live here, but I usually go home and on Christmas Eve, my uncle and I go grocery shopping together and we cook for our entire family. It's sort of our bonding thing. And then on Christmas Eve evening, our family always goes to the 10 p.m. church service, which when we were really little, it was crazy to stay up so late. And then after our church service, which is like a candlelight service, we open one gift, which is pajamas for Christmas morning. Oh, wow. But this year, there's a little change in your family. You had some lobbying to do (laughs) uh, where you convinced your family to shake some things up. Can you talk a little bit about that? So for the past couple of years, I have been saying to them, on my mom's side of the family, she just has one brother and he has two children. We're all adults now, but we always still go to my grandmother's home and she has passed away. My grandparents have both passed away. So it's just my mom, her brother, and his kids. And then I have one brother. So not a lot of us on that side. And I keep saying, we're adults. Why are we still buying each other gifts? Let's go on a trip. Let's do something. And that can be our gift to one another, spending time together. And I have floated various ideas throughout the years. Like we could go to the Cowboys game on Christmas Day. Um, That's how the family, big Cowboys fans. So what we are doing is we're going to South Padre Island this year, the day after Christmas and staying um, for a week. That sounds so good. I love that idea. That does sound fun. For us, traditions have kind of morphed over the years because the kids are older. You know this, Christy. It kind of, things change as they get older. So 
it has morphed into this. Christmas Eve, we get together with some friends and family, and we watch a really bad Christmas movie called A Very Brady Christmas. Made in 1988. It's cheesy, it's terrible, but we hate watch it, and we love it, and our friends come over, we do that. Christmas Day... We used to wake up at four in the morning when the kids were, you know, expecting Santa Claus. That's now we just wait for teenagers to wake up and then we open up presents. But family comes over to our house. We usually make something, depending on the temperature, chili, something like that. And then we take off for the beach. This is kind of a new thing for us. We take off on the beach Christmas night, stay down at the beach for a little while. Let's turn the page to New Year's resolutions. Let's start with just a friendly little (laughs) check-in. How did it go with your planner this year? Those who have OGs of the podcast will know that at the beginning of the year, Brian Lewis was obsessed with this planner. And at the end of the week, the planner said, write something that you did well this week. And he used to write down, used my planner. (laughs) Yeah, that resolution did not, it did not pan out. I, I noticed the other day I was doing some cleanup in our little storage closet here in the office. And I saw the planners over in the shredder pile oh and that was like gosh. a $50 planner. It didn't go well. Sky bombed. <laughs> yeah. Failure. <laughs> failure. So, so I, what's this year's resolution? <laughs> all right, so, so I have, I have a couple resolutions and I'm a big resolution guy. And this is my theory about resolutions. I write down usually about 10 things that I want to change. And I I fail at most of them. It does create some new habits. So I I usually have a resolution that I'll read one book a month. Do you do that? No. But if I get four books read in a year, then that's winning, right? So it does, at least at the beginning, I I, I get my books read. Or changing eating habits or something like that. So I I basically have two, two resolutions this year that I think are kind of out of the norm. Okay. All right, one. I love to play the guitar. I've played the guitar since college, and I'm not good at all. And I've never taken a lesson. I just know like three or four chords. I can do some Robert Earl Keen. I can do some Christmas songs, something like that. This year, I bought myself four guitar lessons. That For the price of one planner. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Probably. So for, for once in my life, I'm going to sit down with someone who actually knows how to play the guitar. The other is I have a group of friends that eat raw, like don't cook anything. And for one week. In- I can't with hearing about this again. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> unsubscribe. <laughs> for one week in January, I am going to eat nothing but raw food. And uh, it'll be nuts. It'll be, you know, uh, broccoli. Vegetables. Yeah, vegetables, uh, fruit. If any of y'all have ever come into contact with Brian Lewis (laughs) during eating times, you know that he loves a diet. I love a diet. (laughs) (laughs) Despite me seeing him after the Perry and Devier interview, (laughs) spooning hummus into his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I have some problems. (laughs) But (laughs) January 1, I'm turning over a new leaf. Oh, right. (laughs) 
Okay, cool. We'll see how long that lasts. I mean, just just to be, I mean, Senator Perry talked about it in the interview. Session has a way of just putting the weight on because you're not eating well, you're eating on the go, you're not sleeping right, you're stressed out. And I'm a stress eater, you know. I'm a stress eater. So I'm worried about mm-hmm. the budget, I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just yeah. So I've since knowing Brian, I've known him to be on the <laughs> keto diet. Jump in here with any diet, <laughs> vegan diet. Yeah. <laughs> um, that beans and cheese that yes. that's all he ate for a while. Um, what else? He he likes the hummus and bean combination. What other diets have you known him to be on? He's like, I'm gonna just drink water. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, how long the, is that gonna the last? The day he ate only toast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's get to your resolutions then, Sky David. What do you got? Christy, go next. I don't know. About I don't. Right, Christy okay, Jones. Get- I do not do New Year New Year's resolutions. Really? I do words for the year. You That's know, you right. You, you do do words. Yes. This year was journey. So next year. I um, had it narrowed down to three, and then when you said we might talk about this, I was like, okay, I better go ahead and pick my word. Okay. So my word is empowerment for this year. Empowerment. That's a empowerment. That was a good word. Yeah. And so I have a quote that I'm going to use too. So it's, uh, what you do makes a difference, and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And that was by Jane Goodall. Goodall, excuse me. When did you start going to words? Um, about five years ago, mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine, well, you know, Jessica mm-hmm. and Jessica Nance, Nance down in Thomasville. Right. And so she said, I don't do new year's resolutions. I do a word. And so I was like, Oh, so I started doing a word and it's just easier for me to keep on track. Sky David, let's hear about your resolutions. I also don't do resolutions. Why? I, why don't you do res? Why don't you guys do resolutions? I told you I do a word. It keeps. Me I more get focused. what you do. Does it? I mean, yeah, it keeps me more focused because I'm constantly looking for how is this word impacting me and my daily life. All right. So no resolutions for you. I'll start my stoicism book over on January one. Yeah, because, I mean, I'll say this about I have a lot of habits. Yes. We talked about it two weeks ago. You're up at three in the morning if you need to to work out. You never miss a workout. Even when you're you're saying you're not feeling well, you still work out. Yeah, I just like my morning time a lot. I get up. I always read the day's quote from a stoicism book, which I like to think that I practice stoicism Mm -hmm. and I've tried to force on Brian because he's like an emotional person and just to be less emotional and be more detached from things, knowing that like you can't control everything. And so like, I like to set my intention for the day that way. Well, I hope this coming week that both of you have a very Merry Christmas and a happy new year. It has been a great year here at New Frame. I appreciate your friendship and being your colleague, and I look forward to seeing you in the new year. We hope that you also take some time to celebrate with your friends and family. Whatever traditions you have, we'd love to hear about them. You can tweet at us. And remember, when you are with your family, it is family time, not politics time. So please remember to do politics better. Let's start off. We, we do a lot of editing, Christy. I can imagine. Yeah. So let's start off. Let's start off with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why don't we start off? Let's start. We're going to start. We're going to start. Yeah. Let's start off with. Oh, you can't laugh. Sorry. It's all right. 